morning. Welcome. Awesome. It's not a rhetorical good morning. It's an actual good morning and then an actual response. Oh my goodness, real people, face to face. This month we're beginning a brand new series of messages on Old Testament Bible stories. Uh, when we first, I first picked that, I thought about, will this fit and is it timely? And then the war broke out and all of a sudden all these connections between these Old Testament stories and what we're living in our world uh, came together. So uh, today is the first of those messages on the story of Cain and Abel and the murderous power of envy. Next week will be an online-only service, an online-only service, so we won't be here. Uh, Miriam, she last week let us know that she had made three attempts to find this church open um, on Noah's Ark and flood-proofing your life or living with the end in mind. And then the following week, church is going to happen on Thursday night uh, this month, um, and we're going to do something called Visio Divina, which is looking at ancient old artwork of Old Testament stories, and then hearing those stories and kind of engaging uh, God through the artwork and the hearing of the story at the same time, and just have a kind of group conversation around what I think will be three or four Van, uh, not Van Gogh, uh, Rembrandt etchings of Old Testament stories. And then week four, we'll gather here again live for a message on the Exodus and experiencing God's slavery-freeing move in our lives. So that is what is up for this month at Marlou Church. My prayer is that it will be good because what's true in those old stories is of course true today. And the God of those old stories millennia ago, millennia ago of course is the same God today. And these Old Testament stories, they, they can act like a narrative mirror that lets us see us for who we are and also God, for who God is. And they're Old Testament, right? So we're going to go a little Old Testament. It's, it's a little more in your face and in your grill and, and kind of calling out some things about the human heart. But of course, the God response is always a good one to those things. So, Old Testament stories relevant today. For example, this week I read these words from Yuval Noah Harari, an Israeli philosopher and thinker in The Economist, about all that's playing out in Ukraine. And he writes and asks, At the heart of the Ukraine crisis lies a fundamental question about the nature of history and the nature of humanity. Is change possible? Can humans change the way they behave, or does history repeat itself endlessly, with humans forever condemned to reenact past tragedies without changing anything except the decor? Good questions, right, for all of us and for our world right now. And good questions in relationship to these Old Testament stories we're going to explore. And in relation to the Cain and Abel story in particular, one Russian oligarch who was pushing back on Putin said this this week in the media. This crisis will cost lives and damage two nations who have been brothers for hundreds of years. A brother fearfully, angrily, enviously killing their own brother. Can you imagine that? Okay, before we dive into that, 
uh, join me in a prayer. These are our brothers and sisters, uh, part of this collective human race that are being indiscriminately bombed right now in their hospitals, in their residential areas. These are people made in your image, Lord, whose bodies and lives and psyches are being destroyed by the evil, envious, angry, killing power of war. To answer Harari's question, the answer has to be we never learn We never seem to be able to get past ourselves. We never seem to really appropriate, as as people of faith or who profess faith, a full living out of the peacemaking, other-oriented, lay-down-your-life-for-others reality that is Jesus. So with that confession, we listen now to this old, ancient, old story and pray that for our part, your spirit would touch us and change us, convict us if necessary, and then free us into living and being the kind of people through whom good action, loving your neighbor, um, selflessness, loving your enemies becomes emblematic, uh, definitive of who we are. May that happen in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Envy, if you know the list of the seven deadly sins, is a very deadly sin. And unlike jealousy, and they're different, people always get them mixed up. Jealousy, which rises up when Something that is rightfully yours is loved by another or loves another instead of rightfully loving you. Envy is different than that in that it doesn't care who things belong to and always or often wants what belongs rightfully to another to belong to themselves. That other person who rightfully belongs to another person already. Envy wants that person for themselves, that other thing, that other country for itself. So unpacking it a bit further, this is my favorite, most uncomfortable description of envy. So feel free to squirm on your chair as I read it to you. And it took on new meaning for me as I read it again this week in the context of Putin, Ukraine, and Europe Putin and Europe fighting over Ukraine. This is the definition. You see something, Ukraine, want it, and feel that it is only sensible and right that it belong to you and not the person, Europe, who has it. Once the injustice of the other person having it is established, this usually doesn't take too long. His unworthiness must be emphasized, at least in your own mind, And your greater worthiness goes without saying. His loathsomeness doesn't. It may be said over and over to yourself. 
Whatever the object of inordinate desire, an item of art or luxury, the friendship or love of another person, the prestige that goes with a position or a place of prize in life or a country, the world begins to seem out of joint. And I imagine it has felt out of joint for Putin, given what he's doing right now, ever since 2014. This has been brewing, this envious anger. The world begins to seem out of joint so long as he has it and you do not. The quality of your feeling and connection with it becomes obsessional. You find yourself thinking about it more than you know you ought. Find it difficult to think of other things. Theologian Neil Plantinga, in a much shorter way, summarizes envy this way. It's a sadness or displeasure at the good of another especially at the greater good, a, a country, a people becoming a free democracy, that kind of greater good, plus the desire to despoil her of the good and incidentally have it for oneself. And the her in that envious definition in terms of how envy works is often someone who's very close to you, geopolitically or personally, a peer, a sibling, a classmate, a co-worker on a personal level, you know, a country that has, you know, been linked to Russia for, for centuries, our brothers. That's the place where envy flourishes. It thrives in situations where someone who should be just like you ends up doing better than you. A coworker gets attention or a promotion, or a sibling seems to always succeed in all that they do when you're just trying to find your way. Or a country that used to be just like you and a part of you starts down this liberal democratic path. And then one more definition. Envy also, among other ingredients, has a love of justice in it. And that's where we get fooled because we think it's just justice. We're just defending ourselves. We're just doing what's right for the world. We're the ones who've been harmed by this. Therefore, we're going to act in this envious, evil, destructive way. We're more angry at undeserved than deserved good fortune. So again, when somebody close to us gets something undeserved, ugh. I mean, if they deserve it, okay, I'm an adult, I can deal with that. But if it's undeserved, that's where envy crouches, waiting to pounce. Like it did in the story of Cain and Abel. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn, of his flock. 
The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother, Hey, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field... Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse, Cain, and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, in in that most vulnerable, dangerous moment for Cain, these words, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So many questions rise up for me every time I engage that story. And, and the biggest one is, why, God, did you favor Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? What is up with that? There's nothing to say that it was a better quality sacrifice, that God preferred this over that, or that Cain was an evil person. And, and when I read the story to that point, God, it almost makes me wonder if you're a bit unfair. This is a bit capricious on your part, that you choose, you just choose who you want to choose, and the rules of good behavior don't seem to apply. I mean, that person isn't any better than me, are they? I've worked just as hard as they have. I'm just as special. Why is their life, their career, their marriage, their body Always just so enchanted, seemingly blessed by you, God. What gives? Because this is not fair in my mind, not fair at all. When I've been in those Cain like moments, it's then when God reminds me of other stories in the scriptures 
other words to other followers who were asking those kinds of questions before God. God responded to Job and the people of Israel and his disciple Peter with words like this. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me, God says. Through the prophet Jeremiah, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does and remake you at my will any time? I choose to do so, declares the Lord. Or to his disciple Peter, what is it that you, Peter, what is it, what, what is that to you, Peter, if I want John, your disciple, Peter, to remain alive until I return? You, Peter, must follow me. Mind your own business. When Cain's sacrifice was being offered to God, we do not know what Cain did wrong. It would be a lot easier if we just saw, okay, this guy deserves everything that just happened. But we don't. But in Cain's seething response, we do. Through murderously acting out and killing his own younger brother, we do. Through his cheeky denial to God and his smart aleck pushback, am I my brother's keeper? We do. Begin to, to clearly see where the problem lays. And where the problem laid was here. Not the kind of sacrifice he was making, but the heart out of which that sacrifice was being made. And that heart out of which the sacrifice was being made was evidence of the fact that he wasn't responding to God as God. He wanted God to be his kind of God, performance-oriented, rules-based, merit-based, wanted nothing to do with a God who had the freedom to love who God would love or not. He wanted God to be fair on his terms. He wanted to be God over God. Now, we've got to be careful here because there is room for doubt in this faith journey. There is room for questioning God. You can't read the Psalms, so many of them, the imprecatory Psalms, uh, without having permission to go to God with your anger or your rage or your fear or your questions. And of course, God's shoulders are big enough for that. But what Cain is teaching us is that there is a tipping point, sort of a point of no return where you then cross over into being God over God. He crossed a line. That's where we should all feel a little bit uncomfortable because where is that line? Have I crossed it ever? Committed that sin against the Holy Spirit the New Testament talks about? I mean, when Cain was still at the point of just being angry and what arguably was still okay to feel that way at that point, it looks like he was still okay with God. Ergo God's warning at that point, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? 
If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, you, but you must rule over it. So the yellow light was flashing at that intersection of Cain's life. And he could have hit the brake. You're right, Lord. Of course you can choose. And, And maybe I ought to take a hard look at myself and my heart and what's motivating me here and whether I'm seeing things straight. But he didn't do that. He hit the pedal and he went straight through God's warning. So convinced that he was right that he let the crouching sin of envy and anger and rage into his life. Pounce. And he hit his brother with a rock. And then he hit him and hit him and hit him again until he was dead. Who is he to play God with another person's life? indiscriminately bombing civilian targets? I mean, saying the things we sometimes say to other people about other people with such poisonous bombing, (laughs) carpet bombing, tone, killing them with our words. We are most vulnerable to the deadly temptation of sin and envy and anger and murder when we forget that we are not God and we take out that role of judge, jury, and executioner ourselves. It's like God is saying through the story and saying to us now, I don't care if you're the oldest, I don't care if you're the strongest, the brightest, or the best behaved. You will never be the one who chooses how I act in the world because you will never fully know who I am. And sometimes things will happen in your life that you do not understand and you may not understand until you see me face to face at the end of time. And it's precisely in those moments where you will prove your faith And you will become more fully yourself. And you will become more like me in my love. A love that would even love enemies. And I've felt myself on the precipice of those good moments when I force myself just to shut up and don't say it. Do not say it. It's like everything inside of me, but it's unjust and it has to be said. It has to be acted on. But I'm so sure that it's not coming from the right place, this more Cain-like place. Just do not act on that one. What God cares about in you is your heart, not your actions or your behaviors. God cares about actions and behaviors. But this deeper thing, this Cain-like thing, 
that God is pointing to in this story are the deep recesses, the brokenness, and the good callings of your heart. Here's about people who are humble enough to not know and therefore be quiet. Wise enough to know that everything in all creation is a gift. So when God distributes his gifts the way God does, God distributes his gifts in God's wisdom the way God does. Be thankful for the gifts you have. Stop always looking over the fence. Being the recipient of God's good love has nothing to do with your works, your good actions. God loves us because God chose to love us. Even when we were sinners, the Apostle Paul writes, God loved us, died for us. It's all about having a heart that can accept the seemingly unfair, apparently unjust, and completely unmerited love of God as a gift. And that, I think, is what Abel, evidently, was able to do as he brought his thanks to God. New Testament writer of the letter to the Hebrews helps us on this, looking back on the Old Testament story, saying... By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. And when God spoke well, when God spoke well of his offerings. So that's the the key to getting into the right place, a more Abel-like place with our lives. By faith, we get there. So the question is, for you, for me, for all of us, what's your response now to this story, to this narrative mirror shining some truth on you, all of us, and on God for all of us? Important question. Because sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, and you must rule over it. And there are times when any of us, if we're honest, could be the recipient of those words that were spoken to Cain. What have you done, John? Listen to me, Lucy. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Your your siblings' hearts are broken because of that thing that happened. That person that you've left in the dust in your life. Out of the dust, I made them. Your neighbor's suffering, literally, or on the other side of the world. And yet, God does not strike Cain down, which in our world of merit and performance would be the just thing to do, right? He did that. He deserves that capital punishment. But God did not do that. He didn't mete out punishment based on the rules that we think the world ought to operate under, innately want the world to operate under. 
but instead responded in grace by putting a mark, a mark of protection, a mark that says you still belong on this planet to me on Can. When, when Cain, a murderer, deserved God's worst, God responded by giving him God's best. Which is our hope, right? Thank God. When we're in a Cain-like place, having blown it big time, trying to do anything we can to deny it, being caught by God in our sin justifying it, smart-alecking it, denying it, whatever, just trying to get away from it and hide from it. God looks you in the eyes and says, don't worry, I've marked you, Rita, and you're still mine. You still belong to me. You're still born out of my heart. You're still my woman. You're my child. Still my child, America, NATO, Europe. You're still my child, Russia. I've put my mark on you, people. And you belong to me. Please join me in a prayer. Even after that whole story with all of those truths about envy and murder and anger and the state of our hearts, there is still something in us that twinges when Russia makes the list, when, when a man like Putin makes the list, of the list of notorious enemies that make up the definition of enemy that God calls us to love in a God-like way. And we get that there are repercussions, we get that there is judgment, we get that you are holy, God, and that you will take care of things, and that justice will reign. But inside of us, we want to cut in on that too, and say that there are irreparable things, behaviors that simply cannot be forgiven or made new, or renewed for, for all of time by the power and love of God. So we don't know. We don't know what to do with that. So help us to, like Job, put our hands over our mouths when we get to that place where sin is crouching at our door and we want to become you or take over for you. Help us lament the state of our hearts. And in that honest, open, struggling place before you, receive a love. Know we're marked. Be overwhelmed again by your grace, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your goodness. May that, those words, be the last words spoken in any of those circumstances we find ourselves in and at the end of the day 
May they be what wins out when wars cease and tears are wiped from every eye and, and the end is near. The end is here. So hear this, our prayer. We pray, Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.